You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. All right, this morning's message is resurrecting dry bones. And what's so cool about the message this morning is this is something that uh, I actually did not think up or, or come to a place where I'm like, this will be neat. I, I had a sermon planned to kick off this series, and then on New Year's Eve night, we were sitting around a fire with uh, our small group of friends, and uh, there is a lady in this church who has an incredible gift of prophecy, but she is very shy. She is very shy, and I threatened her, by the grace of God, that I was going to just randomly call her up on stage and have her speak. And uh, she said, no, you won't, I'll leave. Uh, and I believed her, actually, even though her husband's on staff. And so um, she said, though, she said, but because you said that, I did go before the Lord and say, God, just in case he ever actually is that evil, do you have a word? And uh, on New Year's Eve night around the fire, she shares this word with our group. And it was about God resurrecting and bringing life to these dry bones. And she said, much like in Ezekiel. And as she shared the vision and described it in detail, I, I couldn't shake it. There we are, we're telling stories, having a good time. And I pulled out my phone and I began to read Ezekiel. And I reread this uh, chapter 37, what I'm going to read to you here today. And then New Year's Eve day, I still couldn't shake it. And so I, began, I, I bought a book online, began to read this book, right? And then I begin to read commentaries. And before I know it, I've read all of Ezekiel. I've read two books on it. And God has said, Nathan, this is the vision that I've given you that started at the men's retreat last year that I continued to push in Ecuador. This is what I want you to leave with. I am bringing resurrection life to Life Point. Not just to Life Point. I'm bringing resurrection life to Santan Valley, Queen Creek, Florence, Apache Junction. I'm bringing it. And if you want to be a part of it, I want you to be a part of it. But you need my breath. You need my breath. This is the word the Lord gave me. You need my breath. So I want to read this for you here. And there's this great video I found. And hopefully I'm going to time up my reading with the video here, first service. I don't know how good I did, how well I did. Is that the right way to say that? All right. So do we have the video ready? So this is Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, 
and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life. They stood to their feet. A vast army stood before them. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Amen. I love that video because it gave you a visual representation of this vision that I see Ezekiel standing before the Lord. And this vision is more than just for the people of Israel, but it was clearly for the people of Israel as Ezekiel was a prophet who was in exile with the people in Babylon, right? He was there with them. He was part of the exile. He wasn't on the outside looking in. He wasn't someone who was before the exile preaching and then stayed out of it. He was there in Babylon, in the exile, experiencing the pain of being cut off from the land, being cut off from the God who had sustained them and brought them that far. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if we as Christians have a hope only for this life, we of all people are most miserable. Isn't that a fascinating statement? If the most hope you have for this life is this life, if that's the greatest hope you have in your life, is this life and how you do in this life, Paul says we are the most miserable people in the world. You see, Ezekiel had told the people of the Lord's promise that he would restore the land, that he would regenerate his people, but what the nation itself didn't understand is that God was going to restore the nation of Israel. Israel at this time is divided between Israel and Judah, the southern and northern kingdoms, right? And God is going to restore Israel. Here's the thing. One of the scariest words in our English language is the word hopeless. Hopeless. Being a pastor, I see a lot of people every week who are sick. Physically or mentally or, or, or broken relationships. And a lot of people I see in a state of hopelessness. They can't fight anymore. They've gotten news. They've been told their chances are less than 4%. They, 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 they have tried everything that is out there. They've read the books. They've taken the classes. They've seen counselors, and they're at a point of hopelessness. And hopelessness is scary because when you hit hopelessness, you lose reason for living. You lose reason to go on. And so we begin to search for meaning, and we begin to search for meaning in other things that we can find hope in. So hopelessness is a pretty scary word. But I want to say this, is that what God comes against, what God stands in firm rejection to, is the hopelessness of humanity. God says, oh no, I overcame that. I've defeated that. I've given you victory in that. You see, time for you and I is a construct that God gives us that we might use to know his grace. You hear me? Time is a highway, so to speak, on which we are traveling in an experience of who God is. God is outside of time. God has already defeated death. God has already overthrown evil. Your future, your success, your hope rests in something that has already been completed. Time is just your avenue to see it. Isn't that an interesting thought? When Christ on the cross said it is finished, he did not mean his life. He did not mean just the work of coming down to earth and dying. He meant it is finished, all of it. 
Death has been overcome. It has been conquered. Sin and the brokenness, the exile of mankind from its creator, God. It's over with. It is reunited now. It is finished. And I am going to be one with my people again. My creation. Hopelessness says, no, you won't. We can see hopeless situations and we can see mankind overcome hopeless situations, right? Just look at medicine. <clears throat> Once a simple infection used to kill people. Just like. <clears throat> now we know that with some antibiotics, a cut, <coughs> excuse me, a cut or um, having a getting surgery, we don't have to worry usually about an infection because we can overcome it with antibiotics. Years ago, if you were a drowning victim in a cold lake and you had been under for a little bit, we would have just assumed that you were gone. If you were no longer breathing, it was a lost cause. We now know you can be underwater for more than 30 minutes and we can still bring them back to life, especially if it's very cold water. Heart problems. Years ago, if you had a heart attack or a bad heart condition, that was it. That was the end of the line for you. Now we can completely transplant a new heart, or we can put stents in, and we can reopen arteries that are closed. If man can alter those kind of hopeless situations, what kind of hopeless situations do you think God can alter? Right? That's just what man can do. God has given man the insight and the authority into, and dominion over our bodies to be able to learn this stuff. So if that's what man can do, what can God do in your life? Think about that for a moment. Man can take the heart out of one living being and stick it in another. <laughs> the pastor at Living Streams, Mark Buckley, has a flap in his heart that's from a pig, for heaven's sakes. And it's the reason he's alive today. That's what man can do. How much more do you think God could remedy a hopeless situation in your life? So here's Ezekiel. He's prophesied to the mountains in chapter 6 and 36. He's prophesied to the forests in chapter 20. And now he's commanded to prophesy to a valley of dead bones. The word of the Lord is living and powerful, Hebrews 4.12 says, but not only has life in 1 Peter 1, it imparts life. The word of the Lord imparts life. When God created Adam, right, formed him out of the clay of the earth, he was just a lump of clay laying there. What gave him life? Go ahead. What gave him life? When God breathed on Adam. Then he had life. In this vision with Ezekiel, Ezekiel is told to speak to the bones, and the tendons and the muscles grew back, and they came together to form the human, and the skin came over them, but they were still just a lifeless army until what? God said, prophesy my breath to the bones. Prophesy my spirit. This is the word, the Hebrew word, ruach. Prophesy my spirit to the bones. My breath, my life, God's breath is not only can it speak life, it imparts life. It is life. Do you know that the word the Hebrews use, Yahweh, right? It's how we would say it in English, Yahweh, the holy name of God, a name that they wouldn't even mention it was so holy the pronunciation of the Hebrew language of Yahweh was a breath. It was more like a breath. It was, uh, yeah. It wasn't even a word that had a structure to it. It was so holy. The very name of God was a breath. And it's in God's breath that life is created. 
So the Bible teaches us this, that nothing is hopeless when God gets involved. Nothing is hopeless in your life. You hear me this morning. If you let God get involved, you are not in a hopeless situation. No matter what doctors or counselors or friends or parents have told you, there is nothing that is hopeless if God's in it. Ezekiel's ministry and Ezekiel's life here is exemplifies this principle, right? I want you to see this. Early on, Ezekiel was a prophet, and as we've said, prophet was not a fun job. You were usually there to declare uh, judgment and teach truth to people who didn't want to hear truth, right? You're that person at the party late on a Friday night when people have been drinking too much going, guys, we should turn the music down and all start drinking coffee. This is enough. You've all had too much, and you're just pouring out the alcohol. You're nobody's friend. You're nobody's friend at that point. Even though you're doing what's best for them, even though you're doing what they should have been doing themselves, nobody likes you. That's Ezekiel. He's sitting there for seven years. He preaches judgment to the Israelite people, and he says, stop worshiping these false idols. Stop it. God is not happy with you. He is going to destroy us. Remember his promise that we will be cut off from him. We will be cut off. Guys, don't do this. Well, then it happens. Babylonians come in, invade, pillage, murder, and take the Israelites into captivity. Seven years he preached this to them, and then 13 years Ezekiel goes silent. 20 years pass before the vision of the dry bones. 20 years of saying, God, I have spoken the words you gave me. And remember, Ezekiel didn't want this job. That's the other thing about a prophet. If you think you're a prophet of God and you want to be a prophet of God, you're probably not a prophet of God. A prophet of God doesn't want to be a prophet of God. A prophet of God realizes that to be the prophet means I will be cast out, I will be the awkward man, I will be, not, I will be disliked by everybody. In fact, Ezekiel opens up, and if you look in the first two chapters, and it's God saying, Ezekiel, you better say this as I've told you to say it, because if you don't say it, because it's a difficult thing to say, then the blood of the people who die will be on your hands. But if you do say it, then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, being a prophet is no fun. 20 years, so God gives them this vision of the dry bones, right? But here's what changes, and this is so crucial. This is so crucial. I'm going to show you here what God has been doing in my life and how this is key to us reaching our neighborhood, okay? To us resurrecting, to any dry bones in this congregation, in this church, resurrecting to new life. It comes here. After 13 years of silence, Ezekiel is going to begin to speak to the Israelites in captivity. And after having the vision of the dry bones, he's going to come to them this time. Only this time, he is broken and compassionate towards them. You hear me? He is broken and compassionate. He, his heart this time is no longer, what are you morons doing? Stop worshiping that wood carving. Stop worshiping that gold image you made. Stop having drunken parties. Stop doing these. It's no longer that. He now loves them. He now cares for them. His heart breaks for them because he sees them in captivity. He sees the families torn apart by the Babylonians. He sees the pain that they're in, and his heart breaks for them. He knows that they're there because they put themselves there, but he's broken for them. And what's changed is he sees the people the way God sees them. 
Ezekiel's prophecies change after his vision in 37. He now sees who they are, and he brings to Israel a new message of hope. A message of hope, which is no matter what painful situation you guys are going through right now, God is life. And if you turn to him, he will breathe life into your hopeless situation. I don't care what it is. You're facing jail time. You have a record. You got a bad report from the doctor. You got a terminal report from the doctor. You lost somebody close to you and you don't know how you're going to move on. God breathes life into every single one of those situations. So how? How do we move forward? Well, I love this. I love this explanation here. God asks Ezekiel. He places him, first of all, in the very middle of the valley, completely surrounded by the bones, so that way everywhere he looks, he sees nothing but death. And then he says, hey, Ezekiel, can these bones live again? Ezekiel's answer is great. He says, I don't, you, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know that answer. See, I like this because this is sort of what we do, right? Like he logically knows, no, these are just a bunch of dead, dry bones. But then he also knows as a priest and a prophet, God, you can do whatever you want. So I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to put this one back on you. I'm going to Jesus juke you and I'm going to say, you a Lord, you alone know the answer to that, God. It's actually a pretty wise thing to do because he's not going to say no, but he's also not going to say yes. So he puts it back on the Lord. And so the Lord gives him the strength, and the Lord says, I want you to preach to the bones. I want you to speak truth to the bones, have them come back together. I want them to form man again, so speak to the bones. Ezekiel, prophesy to them. Tell the tendons to come back and the muscles to come back and the skin to cover the bones again. You speak and preach the truth to them. And so he does. He preaches to the bones. But the preaching doesn't bring life to the bones, does it? It brings them together. The preaching brings them together and makes them an army again, but there's no life. And then he says, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy my breath. I want you to prophesy my life to the bones now. So here's the difference, and here's how the two work hand in hand. Preaching without prayer is dead. Teaching like this without prayer is worthless. It's worthless. What's, what better is a field full of dead bodies versus a field full of dry bones? It wasn't until he prays, until he prophesies the Spirit of God, right, the Ruha, onto these bones that God's life comes in and they come to life. It's no different for you and I, friends. If all we do is study and we read and we go to church and we listen to sermons all throughout the week that inspire us, but we don't take time to pray. We don't take time to get on our knees and say, oh God, how are you doing today, first of all? What's your day like? How's it going over in Zimbabwe? Not good. Okay. Let me lift those people up to you. How's it going on in my own neighborhood? What kind of addictions are people struggling with? You think God will tell you? He'll give you the word right there. Here's what neighbor two doors down is going through. Here's what the neighbor on the other street is going through. God will begin to speak to you when you come and you just enter into his presence with prayer. His breath breathes life on you. 
And Ezekiel's story is an exact example of this. How badly does our world need to hear the word of life? People lose hope, even to the point of taking their own life. That's the ultimate end of, that's where hopelessness leads. Hopelessness leads to the taking of one's own life because there is no way out. There is nowhere else to go. There is no light at the end of any tunnel. It is just darkness. And if you're a Christian sitting in here today, you have the antibiotic to hopelessness. You hear me? You literally have it. You have it in the palm of your hands. You have it in your mind, and you have it on the tip of your tongue. You have the the cure for hopelessness. And it's not coming to them and saying, come to my church and listen to my pastor. You have it. You have the breath of God on your life. All you need to do is go and meet them where they're at. Go and love them. Go say the hard things to them. Go share Christ's love with them. Go tell them that they are loved more than they could possibly know. Don't leave them alone. Grab onto them. Take that neighbor who, who dislikes you who parks their car in front of your house and then it drips oil and then you get it on your shoes when you go out and then you walk back in and it gets on your carpet. Not that I know this, just that other, you might be going through this. <laughs> Love them. Love them. When people lose hope, they cease to offer help. And unfortunately, in American church, there's a lot of Christians who have lost hope, which is an oxymoron, really. A Christian without hope? How's that possible? We, 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 our very life is hope. It's the hope of things unseen. Last year, uh, Pastor Kurt Cotter from Living Streams gave us a prophecy on the 8th of January. I don't know if you remember this. We posted it on Facebook, and it's on our website, and you could have gone there any time during the year and seen it. Um, as I looked back at that prophecy at the end of 2018, it was scary how accurate it was. After we'd gone through a lot of turmoil in 2018, I personally went through my own turmoil at the beginning of the year, and then everything that happened at the end of the year, and then we had lower numbers uh, financially. Our numbers as far as attendees was stagnant. We had people leave, but we had new people come. And so we were sitting here going, Lord, what year was this, right? And in the prophecy for LifePoint Church, it says that you have people who are inconsistent and who are looking for consistency in their life. And I am going to raise up disciples and harvesters at LifePoint, right? You can go back and look at it. You can see it on our website or on our Facebook page. And as I thought about it, and as I gave our report to our elders in December, at the end of the year, we looked at the numbers financially, and they were down. And we looked at the numbers of people, and we said, yeah, those are about the same. We haven't really grown a lot. And then they said, well, what do you look at as the best thing out of the year? And I said, the best thing out of this year is we have more hardcore disciples for Christ than LifePoint's ever had in its history. We have mature believers. We have so many people to choose from for the elder board. We have so many people to choose from for small groups. We have to turn people away from mission trips because we have too many people going. God has so given us disciples, people who have stuck with us. And it's not just that he brought mature believers in, but people took the classes, right, the LifePoint University classes, and they got into small groups, and they, they, they took a risk places that they'd never taken a risk before, and God has built up an army of workers. And I said, that's the greatest thing that happened in 2018. And they said, look at this prophecy, right? It says in the prophecy that he will take the trees and put them beside streams of living water and our roots will go down deep. 
And I look at 2018 and I say, with everything that happened in 2018, that's what happened. We are a group of people who dug our roots in deep and are prepared for the harvest that God has here in 2019. I didn't speak like this at the beginning of last year, if you'll remember. But there is a harvest coming, and God cannot bring a harvest if there are not workers, right? What, what would happen? The fruit would go bad because there'd be nobody there to, to harvest it, to come around it, to love it, enjoy it. And so here we are. I want you to see this. He sent me last Sunday, and he said, Nathan, here's a prophecy for 2019. And this is crazy. Listen to this prophecy, and then listen how it combines with the young lady's word that was given to me on New Year's Eve day. I think we've got it for you too. This is his prophecy for LifePoint. My people shall be willing the day of my power. The day has come for those who are expecting it. I has not seen nor ear heard the things I have prepared for those who love me. They are the ones who have removed the limits in their minds. I am able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything you ask or think. Now is the time to ask. Ask for miracles. I have those who are seeking to know me in the power of my resurrection, and they will see that power released. Miracles are coming. Miracles beyond what you can imagine. Step out and take a risk when I speak. I'm using the ones you would least expect to do the mighty works. The weak to confound the mighty that no flesh should glory in my presence. I'm even raising up children. There's a global movement of worshipers who worship me in spirit and truth, just as David. They've had a glimpse of my power and my glory in my sanctuary. They shall see my power and my glory bring greater transformation and healing. Have I not said I will restore all things? This will be a year of restoration. I am looking for those who will declare restoration as they minister my gospel. I will restore the broken one and bring my sons and daughters back to me. I'm raising up, hear this, an army with compassion in their heart to bring in a great harvest for my people shall be willing in the day of my power. Hallelujah. So when I read that last line, right, I reread that last line here on Thursday this week after I'd been studying the dry bones, and I remembered the thing that brought change to the Israelites in exile was when Ezekiel came with what? Compassion. When he, when he was broken for the people and not just proclaiming judgment, but when he came with compassion. And this word here for us is that we'll not just be an army with swords and spears, but that we're an army of people compassionate and broken for our neighbors. I shared... Uh, about six weeks ago, that when I went to Ecuador, that one of the things I wanted to see was an, a miracle, an unexplainable miracle, not a back pain being healed or arthritis in the hand feels better. I wanted to see a blind eye see or a crippled leg made straight, right? That was my thing to God. And then I didn't see it, and I shared with you my heart, what God said about the small miracles. I, am I even noticing those? But after I spoke that in second service that week, a gentleman came up to me, and this is so wild. This is one of those moments where uh, you have to stop and look for Jesus because he might, might be there. He just comes up to me as people will come up to me at the end and talk to me. And he just comes up and says, God wants you to love. God wants you to love the people before he heals the people. And then he turned around and walked away. And I was like, Jesus? Right? Like, 
Is that you? It wasn't Jesus. Uh, but it may have been in the words. Because that, those words, so simple, so small, wrecked me for the next two or three days. And I thought to myself, remember that story I told of the girl with the polio at the hospital? And I was like, God, was I supposed to heal her? And, um, but I, was, I thought I was being stupid and all that. And, uh, and, and when the guy said that to me, I thought to myself, did I love that girl? Was I broken for her? Was my heart full of compassion for her? Or did I just see her as a means to an end? I wanted to see God do a miracle. She had polio. She was a means to an end for me to see God do a mighty work. But did I actually love her? Did I actually care for her? And through a broken heart, I had to say I didn't. In that moment, I didn't. I didn't look at her and feel compassion upon her. You see, every time we see Christ heal somebody in the New Testament, it'll say something like, he felt compassion for them and so he healed them. He saw their faith and felt compassion and healed them. Friends, if we're going to see the empty seats in this service or the other two services filled with unbelievers, it can't start by doing a better marketing effort. It can't start by having more lights and fog during our worship. It won't start because we do more events to the neighborhood or cook them hot dogs and hamburgers. It will start when you and I actually love them. Yes. And I mean love them to a complete brokenness. Get on our knees for them. Have prayer meetings at the church for them. Get in our small groups and make the entire small group about the neighborhood that you're in and bringing people, bringing the lost and the unsaved here. That's where it will begin. Because we have the workers. I can tell you that. I can look around this place this morning. We have the workers. There are so many mature men and women in here who love the Lord and who are sold out for God right now. We, don't, we can always use more. But what we need are the lost. What I want in here, and maybe you're in here this morning and you're like, hey, I'm the lost. I mean, I'm not going to raise my hand and offer that, but I haven't given my life to Christ. I haven't taken that step. That's okay. You're going to get an opportunity in just a few minutes here to do that. But here's the thing. What if, think about this, what if we had a Sunday morning, the church in Ecuador has between 30 and 40 people come to the altar every Sunday and give their life to the Lord. What if we had that happen here today? We have four prayer partners here. Four. Two that stand here and two that stand here. How are they going to cover 30 to 40 people? What's going to happen? What's going to happen is I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come and pray and lead this person to the Lord. Right? Are you ready for that? Are you ready to get up and walk up to somebody who's hurting and broken and lead them to the Lord? This is the level of where I want to go, right? Is this where you want to be? This is where I want to go as a church. This is the kind of church I want to lead. This is the kind of people where God's breath, his life is here resurrecting dry bones. I don't want to be a church of dry bones. I don't want to be a church of religious people who sit down, hear a great message, sing some songs, and then go back to their life. I want to be a church where, we, where when you come in here, anything can happen. Right? Amen. I do. I want that to be us. I want people to know that about us. I want the unsaved to know that when they walk in, they're welcome, fully in their sin, fully invested in it, that they aren't judged, that they aren't looked down upon, that we receive them where they are. 
that we love them where they are. I want the finances and the means to meet the physical needs of people so that we can show them God and let him meet their spiritual needs. I believe this is where God has placed us. I believe this is the vision he's given us over the next few weeks. I'm going to continue to share this vision and how God's given it to me and the elders and how we've been praying on this for a while. But I'm telling you, there's a harvest coming. There is a harvest of souls coming this year that God has placed us and positioned us to be here. But it starts with compassion. So two things we're going to pray about here as we close, and I'll invite the band out, is this. You can't have compassion and love for someone else if you're struggling in an area of your own life with hopelessness. Okay? You can't. You're not going to be able to be sacrificial and give and love your neighbor or love your enemy or love people around you who are causing you trouble if you yourself feel hopeless in a certain situation in your own life. So the first thing I want, we're going to pray for is this. If that's you, if you can isolate and say, there is a situation in my life which I have just almost given up praying to God about. We're, we're going to ask, and I want you to ask, God, take this. I, I am not a hopeless person in this area. I have no reason to be hopeless. I should have all the hope in the world. You have already conquered the enemy. You have already given me victory in this. I just need to take it. I need to step out and receive it. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a temptation that's going on at work. Maybe it's a, a, a personal relationship between you and your spouse that just feels like it's been going on for years. God, I, this is not a hopeless situation. I give this to you. Take it from me. Right? That's the first prayer. The second thing I want to focus on is this. Help me to love the people in this neighborhood, Lord. There's more than 7,000 people in Copper Basin. Seven, I think that's a low number too. 7,000 people. Lord, help me to love the people in this neighborhood. And then we have Johnson Ranch and Oasis and Anthem and Santan Heights and Magic Ranch and Pecans and I'm sorry if I missed yours, Bella Vista. There's all, and this is just within a couple miles of this place. This is even those who come here from further north and south. Help me love them more. Take care of the hopelessness in your own life first. Help me love them. Let's pray. Father God, as we begin to pray, as we begin to lift these concerns and cares to you, would you send your breath, send your ruach, your spirit down to this place? You take a moment wherever you're at right now. This is what church is for. If you need to get on your knees, if you want to come up to the altar, if you want to stand, if you, whatever you want to do, take this time with the Lord. If you want to pray with a prayer partner, they're up here. If you've never given your life to the Lord, I'm not going to have you raise your hand where you're at and then quietly put it back down. I'm going to say, come on up to the front and talk to a prayer partner. They're standing up here. They'll be up here on both sides. Grab a pastor. What did you walk in here feeling hopeless about?
I don't know about you, but 2018 held a lot of struggles, a lot of firsts for me, a lot of things that I'd never experienced that were painful. You know what, 2019 might hold a lot more of the same. But I'll tell you what, 2018 had a lot more joy and reason to celebrate than I can shake a stick at. The friendships, the marriages that I saw God save, the people who gave their life to the Lord in 2018, the people who stepped up and led a group for the first time, the people who spoke from the stage and gave a word from the Lord for the first time. All of that doesn't, <laughs> the negative doesn't hold a candle to what God did there. So I'm telling you, Whatever you think is hopeless right now in your life, you hand it over to the Lord. You just say, no, not today. I rebuke that. In Jesus' name, I have victory in this. I will have victory in this. And then we just ask the breath of God to come down upon that request. In Jesus' name. And Lord, secondly, we come here before you and we ask for a heart for the people of our valley. We ask for a heart, Lord, to love them and be broken for them. Break our hearts for what breaks your heart, Lord. Remove condemnation, remove judgment from our eyes. We rebuke that in Jesus' name. We will not be a false judgmental people, but we will truly love, I will truly love the people you have put in front of me here and show me how to exhibit that love. Help me be sacrificial in my time and my finances. Help me to be sacrificial in 2019 in these things that another person may come to know the hope of Jesus Christ. Help me see beyond myself, Lord, to love my neighbor. Jesus, please. Breath of God, pour in this place. Breath of God, pour in this place. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Receive this and I believe this. The Lord is resurrecting dry bones, and it is His breath that is going to bring new life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And you claim it for yourself. God, I receive your spirit. I receive your spirit in this new year. And I receive the breath of life. Thank you. going to celebrate communion here. And we celebrate communion every week as a moment and a time because we are a forgetful people to remember what Christ did on the cross, to remember that that sacrifice, that like the Jews in Babylon, he was exiled from the Father for us. He was exiled to the valley of dry bones so that we would not have to be that's what the cross means, in case you didn't know that. That's what the cross means. He was cut off so that you and I would not have to be. And all you have to do is reach out and cry out and say, God, I believe. I repent for what I have been. Take a hold of me, Spirit. Grab onto it. That's what communion is. When Christ sat with his disciples in the upper room, he said, do this when you gather together and remember me. Do it in remembrance, in bringing yourself back together of one mind, one accord. And he broke the bread with them and told them, this is my body. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And then he took the cup and they passed it. And he said, this is my blood.
poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Know that. Know that what I do for you is because I love you. Let's pray and bless it. And when we're done with that, you can get up. We have three stations up front and three in the back. You can go to whichever one's closest to you. Or you can come up to the front and pray with the prayer partner. Come to the altar. Use it as a distracting time. We'll close in worship. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that your breath is here, that your spirit is here. I just thank you for this word, Lord. Thank you for penetrating the hearts, God, of men and women in this room to see you. Thank you for penetrating the hearts of addiction and and habits that are breaking us down. Right now, in Jesus' name, I see you just destroying chains wrapped around us on these things. And God, we bless this communion. We bless this bread and this juice as it is your body and your blood. And we receive it unto ourselves as we remember the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead. If you have a relationship with Christ, we invite you to partake of communion with us. And we'll close with worship here.